Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In the past, we've talked about TypeScript. We've, we've definitely touched on it. But in this episode, we're going to take a little bit unique perspective on it, is we're going to talk about migrations. Migrations are, they're hard. I feel like every time we set out to do a migration in any capacity, it's so much longer than expected. And so we've, we've brought on Sumana and Joe as our guests today from Netflix. They've recently done a migration to TypeScript. So this is a great way for us to maybe learn what worked, what didn't, and, and you know maybe what you might change in, if you had to redo it. So Sumana and Joe, can you give brief introductions of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Sure. Um, I can go first. Hi, I'm Sumana Mohan. I work as a UI platform engineer on the acquisition UI team at Netflix. And my favorite beverage has to be a Dutch Bros coffee. Um, I would say mocha, to be precise. I was like, that's a pretty precise in general. I love even the mocha part of it. That's great. I'm Joe King. I've been at Netflix for about a year. I'm also an acquisition UI, but on the partner payments team. Um, My happy hour drink varies. So if I'm trying to be responsible, I'll drink Johnny Walker Black because I don't think it tastes the greatest, if I'm honest, on the rock. So it slows me down. But if I'm really drinking uh, with what my heart's telling me, it's something that tastes good. Probably a pretty drink with an umbrella. That's that's an interesting way to think about it, too, is like, yeah, you're going to just, if it's bitter or really doesn't taste nice, it's you're going to take a little bit longer. I like that. All right. Well, let's also give introductions of today's panelists. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Stacey London. I'm a senior front-end engineer on Trello. Jim Young, uh, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we love to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Time. 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 All right. So if we say the word time, which I mean, like I said, migrations, they take a lot of time. We are going to say time. So <laughs> I- I'm assuming we will. All right. Well, I figured it was good, you know, since most of the episode, we're going to be talking about migrations. TypeScript is kind of the story. That's the, the piece of it that we're approaching is. I'm curious, what all do you think are the benefits of TypeScripts? Like that's start, like why would you want to migrate to it? So I guess I'll jump in on this one. Um, I, I feel like selfishly, it's kind of that experience I get as a developer. So when I'm working, that's from several aspects. One of it is I get a little bit more confidence of what I'm releasing because that type checking is going to make sure your code is actually doing or it's in the structure that it's defined. Um, And then it also gives you that, I guess that structure that you define also gives you a level of documentation. So you know exactly what this function method or whatever is taking um, and what that's going to bring back. And lastly, probably my favorite piece is uh, it like, helps me be a little bit more forgetful and possibly lazy with the IntelliSense. So I just press that dot key and, you know, the world is at my fingertips. I mean, I love being lazy. Engineers are lazy at heart. We want to make things easier. So that that sells me right there. Um, so I can add to that. So since TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript, it really just understands its syntax and gives you type inference, um, which means the compiler can automatically detect the type of an expression without requiring you to attach types to everything. So I can give you an example. Like, let's say there is some expression, let a equals 10, and then on line 50, you're trying to reassign a to Ryan. 
So TypeScript will cache that for you. It's going to say type Ryan is not assignable to type number. And how did TypeScript know that? Well, it inferred when you initially set it up that A must be a number because let A was equal to 10. So uh, type inference is really powerful. You don't have to attach types to every piece of code that you write. Uh, another benefit is that uh, refactoring becomes really easy. So we all know we're talking about migrations. So future migrations actually become easier if we moved to TypeScript. Um, and then we also get, um, get to write better automation tests. Um, your automation test becomes simpler because now you can let TypeScript uh, or the type checker catch some of those common errors. And then finally, TypeScript just has a great community support. So the TypeScript team is constantly releasing new features. They're fixing bugs and just maintaining the language. That's great. Simona, I, I think when you had said too, is helping with future migrations, what about TypeScript makes it easier to migrate? And I'm, I'm assuming you mean like if you're migrating to a new framework or a new library, what, what makes TypeScript so great for migrating? So you can automate some of the refactors. Um, there are, the editor actually has some capabilities like find all references, and then it can automatically update those references. Um, so it just makes it a lot easier uh, for future migrations. I, th I think we can't talk about TypeScript without talking about the learning curve to getting to TypeScript. That's something everybody talks about when you're like, TypeScript is great in the beginning. And then you hit that low point where you're like, this sucks. What does this error message mean? And then it's like the enlightenment happens. How, how did you all handle that when you first got introduced to TypeScript? And is that a real thing or is that just like overblown on the internet? I, I, I can try. So it, I guess it's harder for me to speak to that because my first language was statically typed and it was C sharp, which is what a lot of this is based on. So in a weird way, it gave me a little bit of nostalgia. So for me, it, it wasn't a big learning curve, like the generics and things like that. So I don't know, Simona, maybe you have more. Yeah, like I just mentioned, TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript, so it's actually fairly easy to pick up, but it's harder to master some of the more advanced concepts like generics. And TypeScript errors can be really scary. So anybody new starting up, if you see a TypeScript error, it's actually really simple to fix, but the error itself is like 50 lines long, <laughs> making it hard to, uh, or just you know, making it hard for you to find a fix for it. Uh, so I think um, there is a bit of a learning curve, but you can dive right into it if you know JavaScript especially. I'll speak to my like early exposure to TypeScript was not good. I, I mean, I, I saw it way before I worked at Netflix. So it was like early version one of TypeScript. It was not great. I feel like, and maybe it was just my own you know, negativity for, towards it of just like, ah, this doesn't feel right. Like for, for JavaScript, right? Like is like, spending so much time in JavaScript, not having <laughs> statically typed. I feel like I fought that a little bit. And so there was a project that I was dumped into where it was all in TypeScript. And maybe that was just a poor attitude towards it. But I do think that as looking at it later, maybe I've matured, but also I think that the language has matured. It, it, I saw a lot more value now than in the first start. Yeah, I'd, I'd say there's definitely a learning curve if you, yeah, you, maybe you're not coming from like, you know, C Sharp or, or Java or some of these other languages like uh, generics, you know, as, as Simona mentioned, like can be pretty complex and people can write some really wild custom types that I sometimes can find extremely difficult to read, especially with like the one character 
uh, references to things. You know, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll read an example in my code right now. K extends type of T, key, K, T prefs K. And you're like, what What do these mean? Why are these just one letter, like variable things? Like, what? what is this? And I think it can be hard to read. And it doesn't have to actually be like that. You can name those things better. But um, I think that can sometimes be a barrier. It's just like readability. And once you have to like put in some time to learn, learn what those are. You bring up a great point with the, like, I guess, kind of the utilities around generics, especially those can be, I mean, honestly, we did the full migration, um, you know, the team did that and I still could barely write a utility, uh, without referencing the documentation or looking at like the TypeScript source code. So that stuff does not come naturally, at least for me, it's, it's kind of been one of those things that I always have to look and be like, how do I iterate through the keys and grab the value again? I do agree with what Joe and Stacy just said. I think um, renaming those keys that you send into your generics better really helps for somebody coming in tomorrow or even yourself. Like if you're looking at that type like a month down the line, you don't know what you wrote. So making it more readable really helps. Just one thing about the errors. I had one that was awesome. Like I actually made a Giphy of it and it was basically like a game. Is this the matrix or uh, an error from TypeScript? It was that long of me just scrolling. <laughs> I actually had to condense it. That's amazing. And and was this shared while you were migrating? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. To really build up, uh, I guess, excitement about getting over to TypeScript. I love it. That's so good. And, and maybe that leads me to my next question is just, how did you all approach migration? For TypeScript specifically, but it it's doesn't just happen, right? Like, it, it, it takes time. Cheers. Cheers. There's planning and everything that goes into it as well. So I, I'm curious, how, how did Netflix approach TypeScript for migrating their web code base? Sure, um, I can speak to that. So the acquisition UI team, we work across web, TV, and mobile platforms. And so back in 2019, we had just finished rewriting our entire TV signup flow in TypeScript. So we understood the benefits of having moved to TypeScript, and we wanted to bring it uh, to our even bigger code base, which is website, for a couple of reasons. So first one is that it would ease context switching, meaning that people who were working on website were also working on TV. And if both code bases were in TypeScript, then it, it's just one less thing to context switch. Um, the second one was just the benefits that we saw. It really improved develop, developer productivity. And then... Um, a large code base with a lot of devs working on it uh, also meant that you'll just have more confidence in your changes going out, which will also make it easier for us to move towards CI/CD. Um, so having kind of think, you know, thought through all of those benefits, um, we just brought it forward to the website team. So one thing I really love about working on Netflix is that any engineer can kind of bring forward an idea to the team and then see it through to execution. It really speaks to our freedom and responsibility culture. Um, so having, you know, in 2020, having just come off the TV rewrite, we created a small TypeScript working group and we put forward a proposal to the website team. Uh, we listened to their feedback. There were a lot of concerns. We worked through them um, and then we ran a quick pilot migration project. And through that pilot migration project, we brought back the results to the team, and then ultimately we came up with a, a bigger migration plan 
to migrate our code to TypeScript. Sumana, you mentioned convincing engineers that some people weren't on board of TypeScript and that that can be difficult. How did you approach that? So I'm just going to say that it does take time and it's okay if people are not convinced, like right from the start. Um, people will be skeptical about adopting a new technology, especially something like TypeScript, because it's a huge change in the way they write code. Um, and so not everybody, there were a few concerns, so I can go into them. Um, not everyone was fully bought into the benefits. Introducing a strongly typed language gave them the fear that it might actually slow them down. Like, how would we support new people writing TypeScript or simply had to ramp up, but they still had all these deadlines that they had to meet. The second concern was some of our code was written in flow and didn't get fully adopted. So there was concern that we would be introducing TypeScript and then not fully adopting that, which means we'd have to now maintain JavaScript, Flow, and TypeScript. And that's a lot of context switching happening in our website code base. Again, that makes onboarding new engineers not so easy. There was also concern around juggling migration and innovation. Like how would we migrate? Would engineers have to migrate the files that they touched? Like how would the migration work? And then how would we resource this project? Like there's a cost to migrating a very large code base. And there were other concerns around, you know, some people wanted foundational types to be set up because if we are adopting TypeScript and we don't have a foundational type set up, then we're not really reaping the benefits of TypeScript. We might just see a lot of ennies spread out everywhere. And finally, there was concern around, like how would we keep our types up to date? There might be a you know, some false sense of security now. We're setting up all these types and they might go out of date. So how do we keep them up to date? And then how would we type uh, data that's coming from upstream services or other APIs? Because we use a lot of data in our UI components. So there was a lot of concerns from the team. Um, I'm actually happy that our team didn't just blindly accept this technology that we put in front of them. They really challenged the idea of migrating um, and the TypeScript working group, we worked through addressing each one of these concerns, which I think really helped the team ease into the adoption over the course of one year. That's great. It's like you've outlined some of their concerns. I'm assuming too that you didn't just say, yeah, it's too bad. We're going to go ahead. How do you maybe like listen to those concerns and actually address them? So I think one way to do that is to have a pilot migration. Pick a small isolated portion of your code base along with some foundational pieces and set up types there first, gather the learnings from that and take those learnings back to your team. Um, I think that also serves as a great example for people who want to adopt TypeScript. They can look to that area of the code base as an example when they're setting up their, you know, their components or when they're writing TypeScript. Um, so it, it's, it, it really takes time. It doesn't happen overnight and you really just need to have a lot of patience a lot of back and forth. Um, pair programming sessions also help. Uh, if, you, if you cannot invest in something like a TypeScript workshop for the team, just you know, spending an hour or two here and there for people who are stuck, helping them get over those TypeScript errors really helps. I like that. And I'm going to cheers you for the time too, because migrations do take time. Cheers. <laughs> so from, from ideation to migration complete, how, how long was that? I can speak to that a little bit. So we started thinking about this at the end of 2019. Uh, there was a TypeScript working report in place at the time. It, it was called TypeWriters. 
which is, I think, a cool name for a director working group. Cheers. That's great. Um, <laughs> That's so good. Cheers. Um, but the we were busy with another project at the time, so the TypeScript working group didn't have a lot of traction. So when we completed this other project, uh, which is the TV sign-up rewrite, we really wanted to shift our focus back into bringing TypeScript into websites. So it was around 2019 that we really started looking into this. And then 2020 is when we started talking to the team um, I mean, listening to the team, getting feedback, addressing, like thinking through some of the concerns they had, trying to just understand what kind of tooling do we need to put in place, um, even before we ask people to start writing TypeScript. And then it was around, uh, I think, October of 2020, uh, when we had some of that tooling in place, some of the libraries uh, ready to go, some of the foundational pieces set up. That's when we ran the pilot migration, it was October of 2020. And then we finally actually kicked off the migration, the official migration in March of 2021. Um, so between March of 2021 and December 2021 is when we actually fully migrated our code to TypeScript. That's awesome. I'm also curious, like one thing I found really helpful sometimes in migrations or helping people get on board with a migration is sometimes even talking to other companies or teams that have adopted the technology and, you know, are they seeing the benefits and you like basically learn from someone who's already gone down that path. Did you do any of that where you were able to talk to other teams or learn from an, another company? Um, so we didn't necessarily talk to other, uh, anybody from another company, but uh, one Netflix engineer had just moved from Twitter. So he brought some of his learnings from Twitter of how they had tried to migrate their code to Flow at the time. He kind of mentioned that uh, this is one thing that we kind of explored too, that every month they would have like one day where everybody in the team would get together and try to you know, migrate a portion of their code to Flow. So that's uh, something that they uh, tried uh, to do, but we we just talked to other teams, but all many teams at Netflix were just starting to adopt TypeScript. I don't think we had any team that was fully adopted just yet, so we didn't get a lot of learnings from other teams. One, I'm glad we're talking about migrations. I, I think they're an underrated part of software engineering. Nobody talks about them really because they're not sexy. They're, there's nothing to show for it. It's like, oh, the code now works. It looks the same, essentially, like the, the UI code, essentially. Under the hood, like the the deeper software engineers like really appreciate the complexity that's abstracted away and all these benefits you're getting. But what what I want to know in in migrations, I've done plenty of them, and if you're a software engineer you're listening, you will do plenty of them. I promise you, you will do a migration at some point in your career, probably multiple of them. <laughs> what was what a two year migration? Like, how do you keep that momentum going and not just like, oh yeah, we have that last twenty percent, which is always the hardest part. And just like, oh, we'll get to it some other time. And then you just like accumulate this technical debt. One way to keep momentum going is to create a small working group, like a working group of engineers who are really motivated, who understand the benefits, and maybe have one or two people in there who are really skeptical, who actually don't really like TypeScript or don't really understand why we're moving. Um, and ha have a cadence to that. Like, you know, have, we, we used to meet every two weeks. Um, we would have... Each one of us would come up with an agenda for that meeting, what we wanted to discuss and what we wanted to get out of that meeting. So having that cadence really kept the momentum going. There were times when we did receive a lot of pushback 
And there were times when, you know, we did kind of want to give up. But um, you just have to keep a sight of that long-term goal. You understand that benefits. You need to be bought into those benefits um, to some extent so that you, as, as concerns come in, you, you can start addressing them. And I think over time, you'll see more and more people adopting TypeScript, like more and more people in your team writing TypeScript, which also gives you that sense of fulfillment. Okay, like what I'm doing is really actually heading somewhere. People are actually adopting. People are actually coming back with questions. Um, and creating like a Slack channel where people can come and ask those questions freely, freely. Um, setting up pair programming sessions, I think that really helps too. Um, so just voicing it out to your team, either in team meetings or like demo shares um, of that sort really helps the momentum going. Was it full-time that the conversion was happening or was it kind of like you were doing project work, but then, you know, in 20% of your time, you were like, you know, doing the conversion? So I can speak to that. So I was the dedicated engineer on this, but there were four other people who were juggling other projects. And they were not fully resourced to this project. Yeah, I think to go back to to Jem's question too on to migrations in general, it is it's a huge commitment, and it can feel like to what Simona said, there's times you want to quit. And I think that one thing I found really useful up front is having milestones or phases. Right? It's like I, I heard Simona say, like you're you can see the end goal of you know the whole code base is on TypeScript, but there needs to be like those incremental wins or else you're always trying to chase that end state, which is so far from it. And so if you have those milestones too, celebrate them, really call them out and say like, and maybe even almost like treat them as like mini projects in themselves where you're what worked, what didn't celebrate the wins. And then also revisit like, what have you learned from it to apply to that next phase? I think that that has been a really useful tool and something that kind of keeps it, it just feels like less. It just just breaks it up a bit. I completely agree with you, Ryan. I think platform migrations are so long without having those short-term goals defined. It can just become very taxing. And if something more high priority comes up, then you, you feel like you need to just shift your focus onto that. So having those Celebrating those small wins really helped. It's it's crazy. You actually reminded me that's probably what the biggest driving force was for me is we had ours broken down into like different sections. And then usually within those sections, because towards the end, like our group kind of, we got pulled around and stuff. So there was fewer of us working on it towards the end. And it was just like, okay, even within this section, I might look and say, oh, okay, I need to hit this folder. And if I felt like I was hitting roadblocks and steam was being lost, I'd go find some low hanging fruit, knock out that easy folder and kind of build that momentum back up just to keep going. And so it wasn't like a file at a time. It was like, okay, let me get in the login section. Okay, login's done. Let me go to the forgot password folder. You know, whatever it is, just go to this area, knock that out, get some sense of um, completion and use that to drive forward. And also an alternative is cash and food. Those are also great. <laughs> no, but. I mean, no, you, you should have the like food team celebration, whether you order some like boba or some pizza, I don't know, whatever people want. It's like just recognizing like we've made a milestone and we've made, we've achieved some. A- another one that I thought of too, and you know, I'm close enough that I understand how you all migrated. Simone, I think you played a good role in this is you need an informed captain for migrations. No, no matter how big or small, you need someone really 
thinking about it from like holistically and continuing to lead that charge. And now that could be like a TPM, that could be a manager, that could be just one engineer. It, you you kind of have to decide that at the start though, because if you're all trying to be make decisions all over the place, that becomes really frustrating too. Like you're making decisions together as a team, but at the end of the day, you need that like sole driver who's kind of, you, you go to and you're like, well, what do you think about this? Like, how should we move forward? And I think it's really good to outline that up front. I was curious about confidence, like how you were, um, sometimes I know I've seen where we have done some TypeScript conversions and the code does change maybe a, a bit more than you expect. And maybe you need to make sure that you don't introduce a bug. Like, how do you, did you have to like add more unit tests or were there enough that like it felt, you felt confident and like, you know, cause it's a rewrite. You're like effectively, you know, touching stuff that maybe has worked for a long time and hasn't actually been touched. Yeah. So that, that actually, it was, it was a strategy where we were just kind of trying to do good housekeeping early on. But then we hit some of those dark corners of code where you're like, there are zero tests for this thing. And in that particular situation, it became like an extra burden of, especially if you have no context of what this is supposed to do. So you're diving in to truly understand how it functions, what's going on, and to make sure that you retain at least key aspects of that as you're doing the migration. So we definitely tried to lean heavily into writing tests before doing anything um, on the conversion. That was, ooh, that was critical. And since we, we weren't purely migrating TypeScript, so uh, we were also taking care of a few tech debt items in there and that evolved some. Like we hit some interesting issues with class-based components. So we tried to do whatever we could towards the end to move towards function components uh, in React. So it was things like that that kind of evolved over time. And of course, that created some new can of worms that we ran into when we were doing functional components. So it testing, I would say, is the central key to at least giving a little bit of confidence. Um, definitely caught some things that my test didn't catch. But um, yeah, testing was key to that. Yeah, I also want to add to that that um... You don't want your tests to change. So you don't want to migrate your tests as you are doing the migration. You want something to remain the same. So uh, as long as you get your test coverage to look pretty good, whatever changes you're making, you can be confident that you're not breaking anything. And TypeScript will also catch some bugs for you. Like I think we uncovered a few bugs along the way that we hadn't caught before. So that was nice to be able to like find a fix for it too. I love you to our experienced senior engineers because you're like, this is why you write tests because you're going to do migrations and tests give you confidence. Something you hear a lot from early people is like, well, I don't need to write tests. I understand the code. I understand it works. It's very easy to, to grok. But it's two, you three years down the road when you need to migrate that. And you will. You will eventually. The tests are there to save your butt. Uh, I, I just think that's an important call out for everybody out there on like why we write tests. Oh, I've been through migrations where there haven't been tests, Jim, oh. and it, it is that much harder. It, those tests, like even if even small tests will help you just checking that. I, I feel like even at Netflix, we've done migrations years ago where there wasn't a lot of tests and it took that much longer to do a lot more headaches, just pain in general. So I think that's great that you called that out. So from a... I don't know. We I think we think a lot about software engineering in this ideal dream state where we all get to be heads down for for a time and we come out with a solution. But the reality is we we exist uh, as a business. We exist to make money. 
That, that is what we do. And there are competing priorities and there's a finite number of resources we always have. How did you convince product managers and other stakeholders to be like, hey, I'm going to go heads down on this TypeScript migration. Even though you won't see a change in the actual product, this is something that needs to be done. I think at the end of the day, like I think what Ryan mentioned, it'll improve developer productivity. So from a developer productivity standpoint, you can um, kind of convince them that you'll just have more confidence in the changes that are going out. You'll have less bugs as a result. Um, people can, people are going to get intelligence. Like if you look at all the benefits of TypeScript, it's going to be easier to write code. Uh, people are just going to be happier writing code at the end of the day. Uh, and it makes a difference in their lives. So um, it's hard to convince PMs. Uh, I don't think I had to directly convince PMs. Um, I was the sole person dedicated to this project, but um, everybody else really just volunteered to work on this, uh, made time for it. They understood the benefits. They were really bought into it. And people who weren't bought into it, like people who were skeptical in the beginning, were bought into it towards the end. Um, so it's really just forming those, finding that group of people who um, really value bringing it into the code base and then uh, forming a working group. I, I would say that I would just suggest that that would be the way to go. Yeah, and I, I think, Jem, you touched on a good thing, though, is like thinking about partners or stakeholders, PMs, whoever that may be, is they're not necessarily... I mean, I've worked with some really technical PMs, so don't get me wrong. They understand the technical benefits, but they, they at the end of the day, want to understand like, hey, this is a investment that you're taking away from us actually being able to ship some new feature or benefit to the company. And so I, I do think you really need to take time up front with your partners to really help them understand the, what the benefits are. And so to Samana's point of even calling out bugs or people being more productive on the engineering side, I don't know if you necessarily have to quantitate how much that will be, but really maybe even speaking to some of the areas where maybe the quality of our code is getting like a little brittle and it, it's really tough. And so we've had a few mistakes in production that cost us this extra time that, you know, extra day or two, or we released something and had to roll back. I think it's good to remember that the reason why we're doing these things is to make improvements in that way. And so I think if you speak to that from a high level, People get that. A PM, for instance, they're going to be like, wow, oh, you think this will reduce that? That That's great. And I think that you build that trust over time, too. Like, I know that I've worked with a lot of the PMs at Netflix. And, you know, we're not just like, well, TypeScript sounds cool. We just want to write that. Like, that's not the reason you're, you're actually thinking about it from a logical business standpoint, too. Because at the end of the day, you should be partnering from engineering, design, PMs, data scientists, whatever it is, you're all trying to achieve the same goal. And so if you're just coming at it from that angle and really solidifying and speaking to that, I think that goes a long way. I guess mentioning the features and everything, I always think of migrations like it would be so nice if you could just pause all work, right? Like where you're just like, cool, the code base is in this state and we want it to be in this brand new state on like a new framework or library. I have never had the luxury of that. Like that does not exist. And, and if someone has had that, oh my God, I'm so jealous. It's always that you're 
there's still things going on. Even if like Sumana mentioned that she was pretty dedicated to this migration, others aren't. Even if you have five, 10 engineers that are dedicated, there's 10 or 15 other engineers that are working on top of it. How do you deal with that? Like, especially for this one, Joe and Sumana, I'm assuming there was code that was still being written that wasn't in TypeScript. So how do you manage that? I think one thing that was key to that was just being very communicative. So just communicate everything. Make sure you broadcast loudly in every channel so everyone knows what's going on. Um, and I think this is kind of a luxury we have um, at Netflix and maybe at other places, but um, people care and they pay attention. So if you're, you know, if they're in a file, um, you know, they might continue to work with it and they might communicate, but there's just a lot of collaboration and communication. So if it's already been converted, it's been converted. Um, and I think what was communicated um, I guess more broadly was just, Hey, if it's TypeScript, keep it there, but there's no need for them to actively migrate one that hasn't been migrated to that point. So, um, some people did, some people did take the initiative and go ahead and convert that over. However, a lot of people could just, you know, work in the file. And if we had any sort of, um, conflicts, we would just, you know, fix those conflicts and keep moving forward. But it, there wasn't much friction. Um, maybe I'm, I'm missing something, but it, it seemed, Pretty smooth. Yeah, I agree with Joe. I think the migration was actually pretty smooth, smoother than we would have thought it would be, considering how many people work on website. Um, one other way we kind of enforced the TypeScript is through linking. So we had every time we migrated up like a feature area or a folder, we would just set up link rules, which would no longer allow you to write JavaScript. Um, which would no longer allow you to reintroduce some of the tech debt that we were trying to move away from. So um, that really helped us not have to worry about the portions we had already migrated. Like, hey, are people reintroducing JavaScript in those places again? Do we have to go back and migrate again? So even if somebody didn't read some of the emails or Slack communication we sent out, some of it we also enforced. I like that. Did you uh, do anything like I, I know in some past migrations that I've worked on is net new features have to be written in in say, for this instance, TypeScript? Yeah. So we basically enforced all new code to be written in TypeScript. Um, and all as we were migrating all the existing code, because if we if the new code wasn't being written in TypeScript, then it just adds to our migration. It just lengthens our migration. So we kind of enforced that. It took some time for the team to fully adopt that, mostly because we didn't have a lot of the foundational types set up. So it took some time for us to fully set that up. And once we had that available, the team became more comfortable writing TypeScript. I like that. Yeah, I feel like that's, that one has typically worked. It's still sometimes difficult because you still have some new and some old. But I, I do like that kind of rule of like, you, you don't want to have to like, continue writing the old technology you want to move in the new direction before we dive into picks for the episode i feel like there's already been nuggets of good advice on migrations but I'd, I'd love to hear from each of you one really significant piece of advice if someone is asking like they're dealing with a migration what's one piece of advice that you would give them i think having a small working group really helps and i think to your point ryan earlier having short-term goals really helps too um, and in order to keep the momentum going, have some kind of cadence, like meet bi-weekly, even if you're not getting much done, um, just continue meeting people because that keeps the interest going. 
Um, I know like for the first half of 2020, we didn't make a whole lot of progress, but a lot of ideas just came about. Um, how should we migrate? How should we resource? How, how should, where should we invest? What type of tools should we invest in? So just a lot of, you know, back and forth communication, both within the working group and then with the other teams uh, within Netflix, um, uh, which really brought out a lot of good conversations, which kind of allowed us to execute on the pilot migration later on in 2020. If I had to say, um, it would kind of be a little bit more to the approach. So I think having solid guardrails on how you're actually going to approach it as you're doing it. Um, so like, for instance, for us, we, you know, renamed the file. Um, but before that, I think we already called this out. We wanted to make sure that there were testing in places. That step was usually there towards the end. It was kind of, let's get this done. But anyway, so you might rename the file. And the reason for that is to retain the history. So if you rename the file and you do too many changes, we discovered at around like 60% different, it starts to lose some of the history. Um, so we had that um, and a few code mods that we would apply before actually going in and really refactoring and doing some of the, the more specific typing. And during that phase, we would just suppress um, any sort of TypeScript checking um, and then try to really come back very quickly. So files didn't stay in that state very long. But ultimately, to sum that up, um, make sure you have that certainty with tests and then have some pretty established steps that you can take and take as much thought of it uh, out of it as possible. Maybe even as we're going for Gem and Stacy advice, I'm actually going to ask one little follow-up before that too, around the testing side. We mentioned that testing is so important. And I did mention that there's been times where like I've been in situations where there was no test. What would you do in that situation? I'll, I'll speak to what happened in some of this. So most of the time, and then kind of speaking to momentum in the beginning, probably the first 75%, 80% of it, we did. We would go in, write the test, try to cover those major cases. Realistically, towards the end, as it was like, uh, holidays are coming, we want to get this done. Um, there were a lot of situations where we just trusted the wings of faith, I guess. I don't know. So yes, there were definitely towards the end, some non-test uh, migrations that happened. All right, Stacy, Jem, any wise wisdom on migration advice? I think, Simone, you mentioned a little bit about like pair programming. I, I always think about if you're bringing, if you're migrating to something that's a new piece of technology or a new language or a new stack to try and, if you can, carve out time for the team to learn. So maybe you know, set up some training. If you can bring someone in to train the team all at once, awesome. Like, or carve out time so people can, you know, go do tutorials. Um, making space for that, I think, is really important, especially if you're trying to get people excited about something. Um, if you give them opportunities to learn, I think that's that, that'll help make it more successful. Yes. Not not much to add on the the wisdom that Joe and Sumana shared. Not Stacy? Uh, and, and Stacy, uh, of <laughs> nah, course. Nah, uh, nah. She, she always has wisdom though. That's like the default. <laughs> but but seriously, to all our front end happy hour regulars, if you haven't gone through a migration, you will listen to the advice on this podcast because there are there's a lot more to migration than just like converting code from one to another, switching frameworks. There's like that business case. There's selling to your peers selling it to stakeholders, selling to your manager, selling to their manager. There's so much that goes into making a large code base change that it's easy to take for granted. Like having tests in place before you start or even <laughs> during is like one of these things. Uh, so I don't, I don't have any advice that, that people already haven't 
heard already on this podcast, but all of this is solid. I got to say it it is 100% solid. I'll maybe share a piece of advice. It's maybe a little different angle. It becomes at the start, definitely at that start of the migration. Ask yourself questions like, what if we didn't migrate? And I think that sometimes we get caught up in saying like, we need to migrate and say like, what if we don't? Like, what is that going to cost us? And I think that's where it really gets at maybe some of those benefits, like really hammering on like, how long can you go without migrating? And, you know, are we going to continue down this road of pain? But another one is what are you giving up? Everything's a trade-off, right? So what are you giving up that you're not investing in? I think just being really thoughtful on, is this the right time to migrate? And what are we giving up? And I think those types of questions should be asked. And I I personally don't think I've always asked that question. It's like, we need to migrate and let's go, let's go. And not really thinking about it, maybe playing the devil's advocate and really thinking about those approaches. I think that can really help answer a lot of things. It still might lead you down the path to, yes, we should migrate. But I think it also helps you really tell the story when you have to sell it too. All right. Well, in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we love to share pics of things that uh, we found interesting. Maybe it's TypeScript related, maybe it's migration related, or for me, it might just be some fun random thing that I've found on the internet. Yeah, let's share our pics. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I've got two music picks. So some music you can listen to while you're doing your migration. The first <laughs> one is Tristan Arp has a mix on the Deckmantle podcast. It's been described as playfully blends the framework of dance and ambient music with adventurous sound design, asymmetrical rhythms, and pointillistic micro percussion. It's a very interesting way to describe it. Uh, it's a it's a good listen. The second one is uh, Sky H1's mix for Resonant Advisor. I picked her, another mix from her at a prior podcast, and I came across this one recently, and it's also very good. So I'm continuing to share her work. It's an invitation for reflection and maybe meditation. Nice. Jem, what do you have for us? Uh, I've got two picks today. The first one is a TV show I stumbled across on Prime Video. As terrible as that UI is, uh, and I, I'm surprised I found it too, because, you know, yeah. I, I won't stop bashing Prime Video. It's it just, it's UX is so terrible. I can never find your content. I, I don't know why. Why do you why do you spend a billion dollars on Lord of the Rings and like none on UX designers? Anyways, I did happen to find a show, probably by accident. Uh, it's called Alaska Off-Road Warriors. It has been one of the, the most enjoyable shows I've seen in quite some time. Pretty much it's a group of people racing off-road in Alaska from one coast to another. And not, these people aren't wealthy. This isn't like a, a sponsored corporate event or anything. They're just people with these off-road vehicles. But what I love about it, it's so genuine and that they all keep screwing each other over. They're always like, yeah, bro. Yeah, I'll pull you out of the mud next time. Yeah, yeah. And then like literally next episode, they're like, see ya. And they just keep doing it. The, <laughs> the drama is great because they're all like genuine people. Uh, none of them are riding like $100,000 super machines or anything. They're just like, Toyota Forerunners, stuff like that. But I mean, I won't spoil what happens, but it, there's a lot of twists and turns and it just, it makes me respect off-roading a lot more as a, as a sport and the respect for the environment and stuff like that. Uh, it's a good watch. It's on Amazon Prime Video right now. My next pick is something I just randomly stumbled across on Spotify, which was my favorite TV show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, has a podcast. And essentially they recap some of the episodes and they, they tend to go off on tangents, similar to this our podcast here but it's a lot of fun if you're a fan of the show like i am and there are a lot of fans of the longest running comedy series in television history which is it's always sunny philadelphia most people don't know that it's been on for 15 seasons so 
if you're a fan of the characters, they literally are themselves on the on the podcast and the show and in real life. So it, it's a lot of fun. I get I give it a listen. I'm excited to listen to I did not know about that. That's awesome. Sumana, what kind of picks do you have for us? Um, so I just finished watching a TV show. Um, it's got a really long title. It's so I had to pull it up because I didn't remember the title. It's the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. <laughs> that is that is a very long title. That is like it's a, a description. Long... Exactly. That one was really good, like surprisingly good. It's only not like a 6.4 on IMDb, but I, I think it deserves a lot more. It's also a parody, so I think it borrows from a lot of other movies. Um, it was a pretty good watch. Right on. Joe, what do you have for us? Uh, if I'm going on the TV show route, uh, the show I enjoyed a ton recently was actually um, Arcane. I, I feel like after about episode three, it sucks you in and it, it just, it's awesome. I, I love the style of animation and stuff. I was super impressed with it. And then I'm going to call this one like a 0.5 pick. So if you're a Star Wars fan, maybe just skip to episode five of Book of Boba, but episode five and six are fantastic. I'm hoping by the time this is uh, released, episode seven comes out and it's also awesome. Uh, But if it's like one through four, it won't be. Um, And then if I give a pick that's, I don't know, a little bit different, but I'm kind of hyped on it right now. It's tonal. It's awesome. It's kind of like a piece of fitness equipment and it's smart and kind of helps you track things and um i don't know i just i love it jem will be a huge fan of it too for those who know jem's not a big fan of smart things and so i'm just i'm curious on his take on it <laughs> that's awesome Especially where where weights are involved or any sort of resistance that could fail yeah i mean i mean we, you can listen to jem and i go back and forth on an episode like i feel like five six episodes ago where we literally just like debated smart home i have two picks one is i was getting tattooed i don't know a couple of weeks ago and the artist showed me that these videos that there's this rapper, he goes by the name High Res. He had started rapping or getting discovered by he's an Uber driver in L.A. and was having these people just show up in his Uber and being like, hey, you know, do you guys like hip hop? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And is it cool if I like rap for you? And you can see these people are like, no, like this guy does not look like what you would expect a rapper looks like. And so they're like, oh man, I guess. And like, you can just tell they don't really want to hear this guy rap. This guy is amazing. Like he, he is awesome. Like just the videos are hilarious, but he is a really solid rapper. And so you kind of see these reactions of people like kind of being like, I don't know about this. And then quickly being like, whoa, like they're out pulling their phones out filming him after. And so this is all he's filming this all in the car. It it looks great. So I thought that was kind of unique. I'm sure there's other things that people do in Ubers, but that was a really cool one. So I highly recommend checking out some of those videos. And then I recently just watched a documentary on Netflix called tinder swindler and the story is just it's wild there's this guy he essentially swindles people over tinder he like basically makes women fall in love with him and he's taking money from them it's just a really interesting story i feel for a lot of the people who he stole money from but it's just an interesting story i highly recommend checking out i think it was just recently released too 
Thank you, Simona and Joe. Thank you so much for all the wisdom on migrations, TypeScript, everything. Where can people get in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Simona underscore Mohan. Oh, uh, yes, LinkedIn. I don't have a Twitter, which may be a sin. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm Joseph King on LinkedIn. I think it's JG King too. Right on. So are you going to join Twitter now or? If that's a, if I must. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fair. <laughs> Thank you all for t listening to today's episode. We love hearing from all of you. Let us know about some of your migration stories. Hit us up on Twitter at FrontendHH. Uh, you can listen to Frontend Happy Hour on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Make sure to subscribe leave a review, tell us how we're doing. Any last words? Happy typing. Ooh, happy typing. I love it. Cheers.